Thank you for joining us today on our Eastside Church podcast. Let's listen in. Well, good morning, Eastside Church. How y'all feeling right now? All right. All right, we got to do a little better than that. Um, I know you don't know me. I'll introduce myself in a second. But how are we doing, Eastside Church? There we go. So I am Justin Simpson. I am a former youth pastor of the house right here at Eastside Church, former kids pastor of the house right here at Eastside Church. Um, There are literally people that came through children's ministry when I was the kids pastor here that have kids of their own at this point. So I had a little bit of a crisis when I thought about that (laughs) this morning. Uh, Currently, I serve as the high school principal and campus pastor at Concord Academy, a Christian school in Concord, North Carolina. And uh, it's just my honor and privilege and pleasure to be here with you guys today. Um, Actually, uh, Brittany, my girlfriend, and my mom right here, they're here with us this morning, and they're awesome. Give it up for them because they're wonderful. I have a dog named Roscoe P. Coltrane. His name is not Roscoe. His name is Roscoe P. Coltrane. And you have to say all of the name every single time that you speak to him. Uh, he is a statue because that's all I have time for. But um, he's, he's wonderful. He's been with me like 20 years. Hasn't aged a bit. Don't even have to feed him. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, so I'm, I'm a holler back preacher. So if I'm going to preach, I need to know that we're engaging with the word and that the Lord's doing something. So I like, amen, say it again, preacher, throw a shoe at me. I don't care what you do, but I need, I had coffee this morning and that's normal for me, but I'm just extra hyped and extra energized because I get to be here in this house with family today because you guys truly are a part of my family and Pastor Alex and Miss Liz, I love you. Like I absolutely love you. You guys taught me more about life and ministry and how to love and care for and shepherd people in my years here than anybody else in ministry has. And so I thank you for that. Don't y'all have incredible pastors? Like, they're amazing. This entire staff is wonderful. I may be partial to one of them because he's been my best friend since we were in kindergarten. Uh, but Michael Wallace, I love you too. And Bethany, you're a part of him now. So that makes you a part of the, the trio. Um, so you guys have been in the middle of a series called Foundations where you've been looking at what it means to build the foundation of the church, of Eastside Church. Uh, you're people of prayer. You're people of the word. You're people of community and you're people of generosity. You've laid the foundation for an incredible move of God. And what I've learned is this. A move of God is always about either creating life, sustaining life, or breathing life back into dead or dormant places. The foundation's been set. Like, the cornerstones are here, but we've got a choice today to decide what are we going to do with the foundation. If I'm building a house and, and I have a foundation laid before me, but I never put up walls, If I never frame out the house, if I never hang one piece of sheetrock, it will never become a house. And I know this, in 20 years of the history of Eastside Church, y'all are not a people that just want to build a foundation just to let it sit and lay dormant forever. You want to be a place where the presence and the experience of God happens right here in this place every single Sunday so that you can go out and deliver that presence with you every single place that you go. See, when we call dormant or dead things back to life, that's revival. That's what that is. And, and I think we have this understanding of revival as their events that take place throughout human history. Like when I say, when I say uh, we're in the midst of a revival, you're like, where's the revival? 
right? Like, like what's the location? You think back to the history of the United States of America, you have the Great Awakening, right? The Great Awakening and people just all across the world, circuit riding preachers on horseback. I could absolutely see Pastor Alex being a circuit riding preacher on horseback. He's wearing the boots. He's got the beard. He's just ready to go. And then, you know, the effects of the Great Awakening started to wear off. So somewhere along the line, we had a second Great Awakening. And we're so good at naming things, we just said second. <laughs> you don't get a new name. You just get the old name with a second in front of it, right? The first one wasn't the first Great It's just the Great Awakening. And then you have the second Great Awakening. Then the effects of the second Great Awakening start to wear off, and the church becomes dormant, or places die. And we get to the early 1900s, and we see the Azusa Street Revival out in California, which was the renewal of the charismatic gifts of the Spirit and the Pentecostal blessing and all of that. And that began to rise up and spread all across the country. But then that began to fade. Then you get to the 1970s, and you have the Jesus movement, and this greater renewal again, and, and the hippies become Christians at that point. And I could, again, see Pastor Alex being a part of the Jesus movement. <laughs> So you've got that, but then, but then you know, the 70s fade, and, and Pastor Alex, you know, shaves his mustache or whatever, and the Jesus movement ends, and you've got the Brownsville revival of the 90s, and I mean, I could go on and on and on and on, but I, I want to proposition a question to you today. What if Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was not meant for us to have momentary revivals? What if his life, death, and resurrection was more than just us going to a revival event? What if, what if God was calling us to live a life of endless revival? What if we could walk in the daily blessing and the anointing of the renewing spirit that is within inside of us and that we could live in an endless revival? You see, a revival is a restoration of force, validity, or effect. That's, to me, what the spirit does inside of us. It renews us, it regenerates us, it restores us, it empowers us, and it sends us out on mission. It's a restoration of all those things. It's a return to consciousness of life. Yeah, that sounds like what the Spirit does. It returns us, it opens our eyes to see what's actually happening in the world around us instead of what we can just see physically. Revival is to become active or flourishing. Again, I know that we're used to revival being events, but what if, what if we had the opportunity to walk in endless revival? There's one lady uh, that just comes to mind when I think of living a life of revival, and her name is Corey Ten Boom, and I have just this beautiful, wonderful picture of her. Like, it's that, that smile, like, it just, it just warms your heart. Uh, Corey Ten Boom... Uh, and her family were born uh, in the Netherlands, and they helped Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust during World War II. And, and by most accounts, Corey Ten Boom and the Ten Boom family saved roughly 800 uh, Jewish people from the Nazis. That's incredible. That, that sounds like revival to me, right? These 800 people that were destined for death, their life was meant to be dead or dormant, and yet somebody steps in and does something and brings them back to life. It sounds like revival, on February the 28th, 1944, a Dutch informant told the Nazis of the Ten Boom's activities and the Gestapo raided their house. They arrested all 10 members of Corey Ten Boom's family on February 28th, 1944. They were incarcerated, including her 84-year-old father who died in Shevengen Prison located near The Hague. Corey and her sister Betsy were remanded to Ravensbrück concentration camp near Berlin. 
Remember, February was when they were arrested. On December the 16th, 1944, Betsy died. Can I be honest with you? If that was me, I'd be real mad at God, right? <laughs> like, I, I would have this inner anger welling up inside of me like, this isn't fair. We were doing the right thing. We were saving people, and, and now my family's dead, my father's dead, my sister's dead. I'm never going to see him again. I'm never going to get out of here. But, but that's not the story we read from Corey Ten Boom. You see, miraculously, 12 days later, Corey was released from the concentration camp and went on to live. And she said this about her experience. She says, you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. You never know that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. In the middle of Ravensbrook concentration camp, Christ was all she had, so Christ was all that she needed. That, that sounds like revival to me. It sounds like she's living a life that had a foundation on the word, that had a foundation on prayer, that had a foundation in generosity where she gave her life over to helping other people, that she had a life that was built on the foundation of community and serving those in her area around her. And it was that foundation that she built a house of prayer and a house of worship that in the midst of a concentration camp, in the midst of the hardest battle of her life, she couldn't stop worshiping. She couldn't stop praising because Christ was all that she needed. I want to look at a story of two men today that really mirrors Corey Ten Boom's story. Um, it's found in Acts chapter 16, and, and it's going to be up on the screen for you in the Passion Translation. And I, I want to walk us through this because I think there are some very specific points of endless revival that are going to lead us back to a place of worship here at the end of our time together. Starting in verse 23, it says this. After they were severely beaten, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them securely. So the jailer placed them in the innermost cell of the prison and had their feet bound and chained. So the two people that we're talking about are Paul and Silas. Give a little bit of context to this story. Paul and Silas had been uh, out on their missionary travels, on their missionary journeys throughout the region, and leading up to this moment, they cast a demon out of a demon-possessed young woman. Um, and this demoniac spirit left and the woman was healed, but the people's reaction was to arrest them and throw them in prison. Can I be honest with you one more time? If someone came in here today with a demoniac spirit attacking them and said, we cast out the demon spirit, my hope would be that we celebrate the realities and goodness of God and not throw us into prison, right, for speaking life back into dead things. So when Paul and Silas are arrested, let me tell you, my reaction would have been a little bit of anger. I probably would have said some words that would have got me in a whole lot of trouble if I said them in a microphone, right? Like, can we, like, Let's be honest. I would have been angry. I would have been bitter. I would have been hurt. I would have been confused. I would have been all of the different emotions. But Paul and Silas, verse 25, undaunted. That would have shaken me. And then I would have shaken somebody. <laughs> Paul and Silas, undaunted, prayed in the middle of the night and sang songs of praise to God while all the other prisoners listened to their worship. My first response for being thrown in jail uh, unjustly would have been anger and bitterness and wrath and a little bit of holy indignation. I would have thrown tables over. I would have been angry, and yet Paul and Silas, undaunted, prayed in the middle of the night and sang songs of praise to God in a place that I wouldn't even want to breathe. 
And yet, they're choosing to use their breath on prayer and praise. In the middle of their midnight, in the middle of the innermost cell, with their chains, legs bound by chains, they prayed and they praised. You see, what I've learned is this endless revival begins with praise. You want to live a life of endless revival? you got to start praising. Even when you don't want to. I can guarantee you Paul and Silas were not um, sitting back on some lazy boy chairs in the middle of this innermost cell. Like, like this was hell on earth for them, and yet their first words were praise. They had no reason to. They were uh, uh, beaten severely. They'd been placed in the innermost cell. The whole city had turned on them. They were imprisoned unjustly. Life is not fair. But our praise was never meant to be determined by our circumstances. Our circumstances need to be defined by our praise. Our praise cannot be defined by what's happening in life around me or where I find myself. My praise has to begin to define those areas of my life that I step You see, in the innermost cell, Paul and Silas could praise because the cell and the prison did not determine the reality of God in their life. God was still the same. He was still powerful. The the same spirit that had cast out the demon spirit was still at work in Paul and Silas' life. Endless revival begins with praise. I don't know what you're walking in today, but what are the words that are coming out of your mouth? What are the words that are coming out of my mouth? Is it bitterness? Is it complaining? Is it anger? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it doubt? Or is it praise? Imagine how small God would be if his size and who he was was determined by every wave of my emotions. I probably went through 15 different emotions on the way over here this morning. (laughs) You You go from excitement and joy when your cup of coffee begins to a little bit of fear and trepidation when you're down to a quarter of it left, to to just pure, utter silence when it's all gone, right? And and then someone cuts you off and you have not had enough coffee yet at this point, so you begin to utter some other things in your mind that you probably shouldn't. Imagine if God was determined by my circumstances. Some of of y'all walked in here in some really dark prisons and some really dark cells. You walked in here fighting amongst your family, husbands and wives, fighting with your kids, sons and daughters. Like, like you, some of y'all walked in here with some mess, with some doctor's reports that ain't nobody wanted to see in their lives. But what if your circumstance was meant to be determined by your praise instead of your praise determined by your circumstance? You see, Paul and Silas learned that the only thing that could soothe their pain was the presence of the Lord. Have we reached a place where the only thing that can soothe our circumstance is the presence of the Lord? I think for a lot of us, I've tried to soothe the pain of my moment with anything and everything but the presence of the Lord. I soothe it with people. I soothe it with stuff. I soothe it with finding people to have a conversation with that reinforces my point of view that everybody else is wrong and I'm right. Right? and that feels good for a moment, right? Like if I'm complaining and Alex jumps in with me and he, he says, you, you're absolutely right. You should be offended, right? He does that, then I feel really good for a moment. I'm like, yeah, I should be. Alex said so. <laughs> He's the preacher. <laughs> but then five minutes later when that conversation's over, I'm right back in the same situation as I was before. Endless revival begins with praise, not anything else. It begins at the feet of Jesus. They learned that no earthly remedy could undo what had been done. 
There is no earthly remedy that can undo the things of spiritual consequence in your life. It's only heavenly remedies. It's only spiritual remedies. It's only the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Psalm 23, 4 says this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Another translation says, close beside me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Some of y'all walked in here today, and I thought you were going to preach my message for a minute there. You're walking in the middle of a valley that's cloaked in the shadow of death. The stench and the pain of death are written all over your soul. But I want to remind you of something. It's just a shadow. It's just a shadow. Shadows aren't real. They're a projection of something that is real, but the shadows themselves are not real. So if you're walking in the middle of a valley of a shadow of death, you're walking amongst things that can't touch you. You're walking amongst things that can't hurt you. You're walking amongst things that can't put you in the grave because he's already won the victory. Some of y'all need to flip on the lights and see that the Lord is close beside you. Endless revival begins with praise. It doesn't mean the shadows aren't scary. You just got to get a nightlight. <laughs> right? Like, like you just got to get a nightlight. Sometimes that nightlight is opening up your word and reading and saying, God, what do you have for me today? Sometimes that nightlight is getting around a group of people in community and building a foundation in groups right here at Eastside Church. Sometimes that nightlight is just picking up the phone and calling somebody. Endless revival begins with praise. He's already won the victory. Paul and Silas had a strong foundation. They were built on the transformative power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's who they were. The problem for us is that we've let our foundation either sit empty or we've allowed our prison to crumble what was built on that strong foundation. Can y'all remember a time in your life when you did have a strong building of the Lord, a temple of the Holy Spirit in your life? But man, life is hard. You grow weary. You grow tired. You lose your breath. You keep trudging day after day after day. Some things are not even your fault. Some things are absolutely your fault. <laughs> we've either let our foundation sit empty or we've allowed the world to eat away at the thing that was built on our strong foundation. There's a church... Um, St. Luke's Baptist Church. It's in La Roche Parish, Louisiana. Um, this is a picture of that church today. It was actually one of the first incorporated African-American churches after the Civil War uh, in, in the entire United States. Uh, it was led by Joseph and Sarah Parks. Uh, they were emancipated slaves. They had lived a life. Life had been hard. Life had been rough. And yet they founded a church on the other side of it. They paid $500 for the original property in 1878, which in 1878 in La Roche Parish, Louisiana, it was very rare for African-Americans to even own land at all. They weren't even looked at as citizens. They were looked at as second class, as less than. Um, that church right there was responsible for planting three other churches in its heyday. That one right there. St. Luke's... Uh, it survived a cholera outbreak in 1890. It survived two yellow fever outbreaks in the later 1890s. It survived Jim Crow segregation and the laws of the South. It survived Hurricane Betsy in 1965. 
But then time began to do a number, like it does for so many of us. It begins to beat us down. It begins to wear us out. People move away. People come in and out of our lives. Relationships end. And in the 1970s, uh, the pastor of the church retired, and everybody that was left in the church either went somewhere else or quit going to church altogether. And this is all that's left of St. Luke's Baptist Church now. It had a strong foundation. It planted three other churches. It was once a place of life. But at some point, they ceased to be alive. Let me ask you something. Does that look like our spiritual lives? At one point, we were alive. At one point, we were flourishing. At one point, we weren't tired. At one point, we weren't worn out. At one point, we weren't weary. At one point, we really did believe that everything this word said could be done, would be done. At one point, we really did believe that we were empowered by the Holy Spirit. At one point, we really did believe that God heard our prayers and he answered them. But time and people that took away our praise. And that's what we turned into. What happened to this once thriving church? Well, its altars of praise were broken down. Because I can guarantee you if that church in the 1970s was filled with praise, was filled with the presence of God, that church would be overflowing with people even to this day. Endless revival begins with praise. Are, are we ushering in endless revival or circumstantial revival? We have revival when we get a promotion. We have a revival when she finally agrees to go on a date with us. We, we have a revival when, we, when life is going good, but the moment it begins dormant, our praise shuts down. Verse 26 of the story says that suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Who was praising? Paul and Silas. If I was Paul and Silas, I think I'd have been a little mad. I was the one that was praising. I was the one that was praying. And yet you release everybody? I didn't even deserve to be here. And they did something to put themselves here. They dumb, not me. Let me out, not them. Right? But here's the reality. When we live a life of endless revival, we live in overflow. Endless revival overflows. It fills me up. It changes me, it turns me around, but then the overflow of the life of the Spirit in my own heart begins to affect the lives of others. Maybe you're walking through a prison season, through a midnight season in your life, and God's expecting you to praise your way out so that everybody else that's sitting in the innermost cell can get some freedom too. Endless revival overflows. It's not just meant for you. What happens in here on Sunday mornings, Eastside Church, is not just meant for you to have a better week. I know it's good. It's not just meant for you to live a little bit better, live your best life now today. It's meant for you to be filled up, to overflowing, so that you can go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's meant for you to go out and build the church and be the church. Endless revival overflows. You see, we're good at praising until the storm instead of praising through the storm. I'm really good at pra praising until it happens. Life is good. Glory to God. 
then all of a sudden I get some bad news. Nah, I ain't praising. I'm mad. I'm just going to sit here. You can't, make, you can't make me happy. There ain't a note you can strike Tom Clark that would just make me go, mm. right? I would get mad. We, we praise until the storm instead of praising through the storm. We like to take credit for the mountaintop and blame God for the valley. But what if he's leading you through the valley of the shadow of death so that other people in there can see the light that you're carrying and they can realize that all their shadows are just that, shadows. Endless revival overflows. You see, when they spoke the name of Jesus in the innermost darkness of their prison, not only did their chains fall off, but everyone in the sound of their voice did too. Can you imagine all those other people? I'm chained, right? And Paul and Silas sitting over here just singing and praising the Lord. And I'm like, I just want to wallow in my own, you know, upsetness. I'm mad too. You think I like this? Why are you singing? I'm trying to sleep. I can't even sleep because it's awful, right? But in the middle of all that, an earthquake comes and the chains fall off. Maybe the Lord wants you to sing your way out today so that not only do you receive singing your own way out, but other people receive it too. It brings the overflow. Verse 27, the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. Now he assumed that the prisoners had escaped. That's a good assumption, right? <laughs> Thank you, Captain Obvious. The doors are open, or by gone, right? So he drew his sword to kill himself. Overreaction, right? <laughs> Overreaction. Doors are open, they're gone. That's it, I'm over. Kill me now. <laughs> but Paul shouted to him, stop. Don't kill yourself, we're all here. Crazy reaction. Them doors is open, Paul. This is your moment to get out. This is your moment to get gone. The jailer called for the lights, and he ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out, and he asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You want to talk about a come-to-Jesus moment? I'm about to die. I'm about to kill myself because all y'all got escaped. And they're like, no, we kept all the prisoners. They had murderers there. And Paul and Silas are like, no, y'all stay. Sit down. Quit complaining. We'll get out in a little bit, right? <laughs> like, it's crazy. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. They shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And then everyone in the household were immediately baptized. He brought them into the house and he set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. You see, endless revival proves that miracles come from painful places. That's miraculous. Period. It's nothing else. Like, no man can take credit for anything that happens in that story, including the salvation of their entire families. Sometimes when we walk in endless revival, it also means we're going to have opportunities to speak life into other people and salvation into other people. We can share the gospel with them ourselves. We don't just need Pastor Alex to do it. He does a great job at it. Pastor Brandon does a great job at it. They all do. But it's our job, too. Like, that's our testimony. That's our story. The transformative power of the gospel did a work in me, and he can do it in you too. It proves that miracles come from painful places. I want to encourage you. I don't know what painful place you're walking in. Look for the Lord that's close beside you and the miracle that he's working out in the middle of it. It's easy to beat up the situation and to beat up God and to beat up yourself in the middle of it. But what if we ask the Lord to give us new eyes to see? Don't show me my circumstance, Lord. Show me your hand at work in the middle of it. 
don't, don't allow me to see my own bitterness unfold before me. Allow me to see your healing power at work in the middle of it. Miracles come from painful places. Paul and Silas were, were in the most uh, painful place they'd ever been. They were beaten. They were in the innermost cell, which means there's no vent or air. They're chained with their legs and stocks, usually spread apart. They were laying in dirt and human excrement. It's poop. It's a painful place. It's a nasty place. There's another man in Scripture that I feel like lived out a little bit of that too, and his name was Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his very own family, his brothers. He was thrown in the middle of a pit. Then he ends up in Potiphar's house. And in Potiphar's house, he flees. He does the right thing. He flees from, from sexual immorality. He runs from it and still gets put in prison. He goes from the pit to Potiphar's house to prison. None of it is his own fault. He has lived righteously. He hadn't done anything wrong. And then he, the Lord uh, allows him to interpret some dreams, and he ends up in the palace. He was in the pit in Potiphar's house, in prison, and in a palace. That's a miracle. The palace is a miracle because people don't go from the pit to Potiphar's house to prison to end up in a palace. They do it. They go from there to death. Like, it's supposed to end in death. And yet he's promoted beyond anything he, he could have ever dreamed of or imagined. You see, endless revival proves that miracles come from painful places. It, it's in the very nature of what revival does. I mean, think about the greatest miracle of all time. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 says this, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole, and he was whipped so that we could be healed. That's the most painful place of all time. And yet my greatest miracle and your greatest miracle came out of that. The greatest miracle of all time came from the death of the greatest man of all time. He came and he lived a life that we couldn't live to die a death that we deserve so that we could experience life. Endless revival proves that miracles come from painful places. And I know you're weary. And that was a prophetic word when he came up and said, we're tired, we're worn out, we're weary. He didn't know what I was preaching. The Lord hears. And he wants you to know today in the middle of your midnight, in the middle of your chained legs to the wall, He's working. He's moving. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And there's a miracle in the middle of your painful place. Your healing's already been paid for. Your salvation's already been found. It's all there. This next part's my favorite part. All right? This is it. Verse 35. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer comes to Paul and he says, city officials have said, you and Silas, free to leave. Go in peace. I'd be like, sweet. <laughs> like, I'd be, whatever, I'd grab my bag, I'm gone. I ain't sticking around in this mess. But Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial. And they put us in prison. And we ourselves are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. Paul's like, no, nah, I ain't leaving. You put me here. You did it publicly. It's your turn. Get over here. Grovel at my feet. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail. They apologized to them. 
and then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. That's beautiful. That's poetic justice right there. That's how you end a movie and win an Oscar. (laughs) Endless revival, it humiliates the enemy. You want to live a life that humiliates the enemy of your soul, that humiliates the enemy of the church? Sing your way out. Praise your way through. Pray your way into a different position. It humiliates the enemy. The the, the government officials came to Paul and Silas and they groveled. It says they begged them to leave. I want to come to the day when the enemy that's been fighting in my family, the enemy that's been stealing a generation of students away from the throne of God, I, I want to be the one that the enemy is sitting at his feet groveling and begging, please go away. I want the enemy that's been attacking you to be humiliated to such a point that he's begging you to leave his presence. Endless revival humiliates the enemy. Like, like this is that moment. Okay, okay, maybe, maybe, you, need to, maybe you need to see it. Um, there's this little song. Now, I'm not going to sing a whole song because I'm not a worship leader no more. That's the Michael Wallace. But there is this, this old song. Maybe you know it. I don't, I don't even know what key we're in. Mike, you want to come help me? To the enemy's camp, and I took back what he stole from me. Took back what he stole from me. Took back what he stole from me. Oh, yes, I went to the enemy's camp, and I took back what he stole from me yes he's under my feet he's under right y'all remember this he's under my feet he's under my feet one more time he's under my feet he's under my feet satan is under my feet right that's humiliating y'all he's under my feet I get to walk all over the one that was going to stand in my way. I get to walk all over the one that tried to stop the move of God in my life. I get to walk all over the one that attacked my soul in this revival, humiliates the enemy. But it all begins with the people that are willing to praise their way out, praise their way through, praise their way in the middle of, I want to be that person. My circumstance doesn't determine my praise. (laughs) My praise sets the course for my circumstance. So so this is what we're going to do. I don't don't ever want to preach a message that we don't do something about it. Like if the word of God says do something, I want to do it. So all across this room, I I want you to, to stand up just for a moment. And we're going to begin across this room as a tired people as a weary people, as a people that have been beat down from two years of chaos, we're going to praise our way through. We're going to praise our way out. We're going to sing our way to the other side of the miracle. Because I know this. If we're a people of the word, every single word of it's true. So when he says he has your healing, when he says he has your best interests at heart, when it says he cares about you so deeply that he's numbered the number of hairs on your head, when it says all of these different things, then the only response I can have is praise. 
The only response I can have is my hands lifted saying, God, I'm filled with gratitude. God, I'm filled with with waiting on you because you are the one that holds all things together. You're the one that breathed life into my lungs. And with every single breath, I'm going to return the praise to you. I'm going to return the glory to you because it's yours. So this is what I want us to do. They're going to lead us for a little bit. I'm going to walk us through it. But we're going to praise our way out. Worship with us. There's a couple things happening that we don't want you guys to miss out on. The first one is this Thursday night. We have our next influencer right here, actually right out there in the lobby and courtyard area. Ladies, if you're new and visiting with us, it is a great time to just get to know other ladies in our body. It's a great time of fellowship. It's not intimidating. We're not going to put you on the spot. It's just conversation and encouragement. So that's this Thursday night right here at 630. And the second thing I want to invite you to be a part of is every year at Christmas time, we have the opportunity to partner with West Stanley Christian Ministries. Robert Britt, I don't think I saw him this morning, but Robert Britt helps lead that incredible ministry. It's a crisis assistance ministry in Stanley County. We have several people in our body that serve with him there as well. And every year at Christmas time, they do a, a, a whole gym set up with gifts for families to come and shop that don't have the ability to give anything to their children. And it's what I want you to hear this morning is it's so much bigger than kids getting gifts. These families get ministered to. Brandon and I have been a part of it the last couple years, and it's incredible, you guys. These families get prayed with. They get encouraged. They get challenged in their walk with the Lord. And our part is pretty simple. And that's what I want to invite you into today. We have tags that look just like this on the info counter back there in the info corner. And all you do is you take a tag and it'll say boy or girl and give you an age. You go and and grab your kids, bring them in on it. You shop for a gift for that age and that sex child and you bring it back unwrapped. You don't even have to wrap it. How awesome is that, guys? You don't even have to wrap it. And there's a box to collect the toys right there. And so we would love for you guys to help us with that this year. I would love that they would be so overwhelmed with gifts for children this year. Wouldn't that be incredible? Amen. Amen. Well, just two opportunities. There's much more on our app for you guys to get plugged into community. We also have our tithe and offering boxes in the back. You can do so online several ways as well. I would encourage you as you leave today that that is not a to-do list. It's so easy, y'all. I do it too. Pay my bills, pay my tithe, pay my bill. That, and God, that's awesome. We love it. But there's a posture of our hearts that God's over. And he's asking for it to be a sacrifice. He's asking for it to be a place of worship, a lifestyle that we live. And so I would encourage you to posture your hearts, whatever that looks like in your giving this morning. Amen. Amen. With this challenge, I'll send you out this morning. It is a night that's easy for Christians to want to hide. The joy and the endless revival that you experience today, there is an overflow that we have opportunity to be a light, not hidden tonight. And so whatever that looks like for your family, I know there's a lot of different thoughts out there, but I want you to to ponder that. We have an opportunity to be lights, to get out, to meet our neighbors, to be light in darkness. What we heard about this morning, that that stirs endless revival in our lives. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. Have a fantastic week.